You are listening to Africa Rights Talk, a Center for Human Rights podcast series hosted by Tatenda Musinahama. Welcome to the conversation. The Centre normally has a number of annual campaigns which are aimed at enhancing and promoting as well as advocating for various human rights issues around the continent. And this year, our campaign is hashtag Green Justice Africa, and it will be looking at the impact of climate change on the protection and fulfillment of human rights in Africa. With me today is Dr. Yolanda Munoz. I will not give much away about who she is. I'll ask her to do that and introduce herself and the organization she's from in a moment. So um, why did we choose this theme as the Center for Human Rights? We found that um, in July 2021, the African Union Commission launched a five-year continental green recovery action plan, which was meant to advance Africa's position and interest in climate change. And the intention behind this plan was to encourage action on five priority areas, which include improving climate finance, resilient agriculture, renewable energy, green and resilient cities. And um, that also focuses on uh, biodiversity. So um, bearing this in mind, the center is embarking on this campaign to address the impact of climate change on the protection and fulfillment of human rights in Africa. Of particular interest today is looking at the advancement and protection of the rights of persons with disabilities in light of the Green Justice Africa campaign. Dr. Yolanda Munoz, if you don't mind, please just introduce yourself to the listeners. Tell us about yourself, the work that you do, and um, you know, the organization where you're from. Okay. Well, I, I am really very... Really, uh, I am quite honored to be part of this uh, of this initiative, particularly because, well, I am I am Mexican originally, and I am currently uh, uh, as a guest uh, in the uh, nation of Haudenosaunee uh, here in in Chuchac, in in Montreal in, in Canada. And uh, it is always a pleasure for me to talk about a topic that is relevant for everyone around the world at this point, and particularly with young people who are vibrant and always very creative with their initiatives. And well, of course, defend disability rights. Also, a little bit about myself. I am a full-time wheelchair user, and um, I, uh, uh, well, I became involved in environmental justice and climate action since 2018. And it has been a a very interesting uh, travel for me to try to uh, make connections between the two movements, the environmental justice and climate action, and the disability rights and disability justice movement. Uh, It's a pleasure to meet you too. So for the benefit of our listeners, I'll just start off uh, with um, the questions that I have. And the first one is, how does climate change affect persons with disabilities? Well, uh, of course, there are many uh, ways. uh, There are a myriad of uh, ways uh, in which climate change affects persons with disabilities for several reasons. 
first, well, the amount of the events that we are experiencing right now have no precedent, and we are all reacting as we can with the with the tools that we have. And also at the same time, not every disability is the same. So some people might experience barriers understanding what is happening. The impact of climate change in persons with disabilities, it has, it's a very wide question. And uh, of course, it is related with uh, important structural uh, factors of inequalities that we live. Uh, but first of all, you have to keep in mind that disability is uh, uh, a concept that includes people who cannot see, who cannot hear, or who cannot see and hear, or who cannot walk, or who uh, experience some uh, uh, psychosocial disability, uh, which is also uh, known as uh, uh, users of mental health services, a myriad of, uh, of possibilities. So the way everyone experiences climate change is different. Uh, on, only in re, uh, in regards to um, uh, to disability, and at the same time, well, of course, disability does not entirely define ourselves. Uh, of course, we also belong to other minorities. Uh, we also uh, we are also immigrants. We are also uh, indigenous peoples, or we can. Uh, also be part of uh, a, a, a another minority. And of course, well, we are not free from sexism, racism, and uh, other forms of discrimination. So uh, but, uh, basically, the, the most important factor uh, that uh, hinders our chances to escape in the event of a violent weather event is, uh, uh, is our precarious socioeconomic situation. And, um, uh, but it really uh, affects everyone in a different manner. For example, uh, if you have, a, a, if your disability does not allow you to communicate in, uh, in the regular channels, let's see, hearing an, uh, an alert message, well, you will have, of course, less chances to um to prolong your life. No? So uh, it is poverty uh, and lack of planning from a universal design perspective and all the other social inequality will uh, certainly impact our, uh, our, our chances to survive the years of climate change. And um, most of all, when it has, uh, uh, when, when it it is related also to other non-emergency related situations or not that violent uh, or abrupt events like the famine, for example, uh, droughts uh, uh, and all other, uh, all other events, heat strokes. Those are, uh, uh, are very important. And uh, all these heat waves, for example, that are uh, hitting the planet might also create some anxiety to, 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 to people with psychosocial disabilities. Uh, and also, for example, I am a spinal cord injury survivor. And 
I, I, I also experience heat in a very particular way. So we, uh, uh, we are also starting to understand, actually, how climate change is affecting us and how we can cope with these changes in such a manner, not only that we will be protected, but that we will contribute to the response to this change and with knowledge and with creativity and doing whatever we can. Thank you. So my next question then would be, how can we reduce the risk of climate change on persons with disabilities? What do you think can be done? Who's responsible for this change? Well, I think that we as persons with disabilities uh, uh, we are also citizens of the planet, uh, of the planet, and we have the responsibility and, and the obligation to uh, to learn about this and to ensure that other persons with disabilities have access to this information. What is climate change? What is also the difference between climate change and environmental justice? What is environmental degradation? Why environmental degradation is creating climate change? Why is happening what is happening? And uh, to do so, it is important to build capacity of organizations of persons with disabilities. It is important important also to, uh, to, to create materials that uh, will be easy to, to understand because I think that probably that is our main problem at this point that most of the available information is created in, in such a manner that is not very accessible for, for uh, either for screen reader users or for people who need easy to understand material. And, uh, also, it, uh, it's really important that these materials are created in the language that they use. So, for example, it is, uh, uh, it is very important to create materials in sign language and, uh, and create a dialogue on how is climate change affecting you. And we are arriving very late to this, uh, to this conversation. Uh, although the UN Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities include a provision on emergency preparedness, uh, the dialogue on climate change and environmental justice has been virtually absent from the dialogue of uh, disability rights. So we had to catch up <laughs> and we are very late, but, uh, but we are hoping that, uh, that we will be able not only to learn, but also to produce information. That is the only thing, the, the, the other thing that needs to happen to reduce the risk of climate change of persons with disabilities. We have to be prepared. We have to understand what is happening. And also we have to be prepared. Uh, and well, uh, of course, we, we cannot do this alone. And the, uh, and the next thing that needs to happen is that we, with all this information, uh, organizations of persons with disabilities must be proactive and advocate for inclusion in plans, programs, policies, emergency response, everything that is related to climate change. And of course, at this, uh, uh, our opinion has to be taken seriously because uh, uh, at some point we are consulted, but our opinions are not part of the final text of the policy that they are producing. So that, uh, and that is something that happens to us in several settings. So uh, I believe that the governments also have the responsibility to comply 
with responsibility of including everyone in their plans and programs. But we can discuss a little, with a little bit more in detail what are the existing uh, chances for inclusion. Yes, I think uh, it would be beneficial for listeners to also discover what those um, chances for inclusion look like. Sure. Uh, well, the, uh, uh, currently it is important for the governments to understand that they have legal obligations related to uh, uh, Article 11 of the UN Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. That is the main point of departure for every action related to response uh, to climate change and uh, erratic weather behavior. Uh, however, the climate change is not specifically mentioned at the UN Convention in the UN Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. So it is uh, it will be very important for us uh, to create a general comment on that article that specifically addresses climate change and environmental degradation as something that needs to be included now. Also, at the international level, people with disabilities are mentioned for the first time in the preamble of, uh, of the Paris Agreement, which has binding power. But uh, the preamble doesn't oblige the, uh, the states' parties to take action about it because it is in the preamble. So there we need to be more strategic as organizations, persons with disabilities, persons with disabilities in general, to make sure that the, uh, the, the that the governments will create inclusive policies and that they will implement it. That is the most important part, that they will enforce those policies in, in case of, of emergency or only or also in relation to mitigation efforts. Now, number three, it is important to understand that there are several countries that have adopted already policies that include persons with disabilities. And the Disability Inclusive Climate Action Research Program at McGill University has just released a study that provides detail about these policies in each country. And that will be very, uh, that will be a very enriching reading for organizations of persons with disabilities. Uh, because sometimes, uh, as, as, as I was reading this news report, I realized, uh, for example, that we are included or we are not included depending on uh, uh, on the situation. And also it includes in with, uh, what kind of provisions are taken into consideration. And uh, this... Uh, uh, this study is available in the Disability Inclusive Climate Action Research Program website for download, both in English, French, and uh, Spanish. So I believe uh, that you, uh, th that is a very concrete resource that can be used for advocacy. But again, I think that the uh, the most important part is to be proactive. I mean, there is already there, because not every country has a, a, a policy. Actually, more countries do not have uh, a policy that includes persons with disabilities than uh, every con than any country includes one. For example, uh, in in uh, right now when the when the hurricane season started in Mexico, in my uh, home country, th there was a, a very important center for community based rehabilitation based in the southern state of Oaxaca, and was so, was completely destroyed by a hurricane. 
And uh, uh, actually, the Mexican government has provisions uh, to include persons with disabilities in emergency preparedness and emergency response. But they are desperate and still waiting for private funding uh, or funding from other uh, sources because the government has not had the capacity to support them to recover all the equipment and everything that they lost because they lost basically everything. So that gives you an idea that uh, it's not only policies, but also implementation. And uh, yeah, sometimes uh, it is very important to urge the governments to comply with the with their obligations. I also want to mention that the Special Rapporteur for the Promotion and Protection of Human Rights in the Context of Climate Change, Mr. Ian Fry, uh, mentions disability as a priority in his initial planning and vision for the mandate document. Uh, uh, this document uh, has just been presented in the 50th edition of the Human Rights Council. And it's honestly quite encouraging that uh, uh, that uh, Mr. Fry is taking into consideration disability as a priority, that he is considering the intersection with other forms of discrimination. And uh, this is also encouraging because we know that this is the result of years of advocacy to be heard in the dialogue uh, of climate change when we are where we are very very small players at this point because as you know uh, and that leads me to my last point no? uh, there are currently nine constituencies that regroup organizations of the civil society in the context of the UN framework on the Convention on Climate Change. And none of them is related to disability. However, disability has been gaining momentum as a topic, not as a specific group. That is very important to consider. You know? uh, there are, of course, persons with disabilities behind these initiatives, but what we want to promote is the topic of disability. And it is gaining more attention, and we are hoping that, that this new Partnerships with climate, uh, uh, climate action and environmental justice promoters will produce a more, a more open dialogue on what they can teach us and also what we can teach them. We have to build bridges. And uh, we are hoping as well that uh, there will be a, a caucus that will soon be formed on disability rights specifically. And well, we are very hopeful because it is uh, it will be in line with the obligations of the united nations to create meaningful inclusion mechanisms in every agency of the United Nations. So what are the benefits of including persons with disabilities in the issues of climate justice? And I'm asking this question bearing in mind the fact that in most countries, or rather let me speak for the African context, and you'll have to share with us if it's the same uh, in, in Canada. In most mm -hmm. African countries, you really find persons with disabilities holding positions of power or or influence or where they can be decision makers. There's so many complaints that have come through that if a company or an organization is hiring a person with disability, it's usually just to, you know, to meet the quotas or just to tick the boxes to say we are inclusive in our policies and in our uh, employment policies. And so if that is happening just at the corporate level, um, my guess would be that um, even in when it comes to policy making or decision making, you really find persons with 
um, disabilities, speaking on, on how policies should be executed and how these legal frameworks can best be inclusive. So in a nutshell, like I asked at the beginning, what are the benefits of including persons with disabilities in the issues of climate justice? Well, the, the the most important benefit is that uh, is coherence uh-huh. because you cannot talk about justice when inclusion is optional or simply an afterthought. Uh, remember that we are talking about 15% of the population and also it's a population that has uh, uh, very porous uh, limits. It uh, uh, This means that everyone can become disabled at any point in their life. I mean, disability is just part of the human experience. So if you consider, if you understand that we are not, that disability is not like a, an abstract group of people, uh, well, then you will understand why it is important to think of inclusion as something that benefits everyone. Because, of course, we, uh, uh, as your life goes on, as, you, as life happens, you can find yourself even temporarily experiencing a disability. And if at that moment the uh, disaster hits your life, well, you will be in, in a very precarious position to save your life. You know? If you consider, for example, in these universal access strategies that, for example, someone will be hurt or will have a broken leg, uh, well, then you will you will be able possibly to to create strategies to support those who cannot run or to support pregnant women who also have little children. I mean, I really cannot imagine trying to flee an emergency in those conditions. So if if those policies take into consideration all these possibilities, you are creating something that will eventually save more lives. And uh, of course, that that is the main value for me. I think that everyone benefits from plans that take into consideration universal design in its conception. And of course, uh, it is important to to understand that there is a general misinformation of the population of what is disability, because we have been thought that disability is a curse, that disability is, uh, is, very, uh, is a very bad thing, that, we, that you only have to feel pity, and that we as persons with disabilities, we should be ashamed of asking help. Uh, and there are so many things that we have to unlearn as, as part of a humankind. So many things. That speaking is the only way of communicating. Uh, no, that's not true. Uh, that, that every document will be easy to read. No, that's not the case. Easy to read difficulties are very important and are usually absent. And those are very important for, for children in general, they are also important for people with intellectual disabilities. They are, they are also important for everybody, and particularly when you're talking about these complex issues. And uh, yeah, uh, as I said before, I think that ableism is not like a subject in primary and in, in elementary school, nor in secondary school, at least not here in Canada. So, I mean, that is 
terrible because we are children from a very young age understand that racism is a bad thing. That is something that you just don't do. But nobody talks about ableism and everybody thinks that it's just a fancy word to create politically correct language. And that is not the truth. I mean, ableism is a term that was coined in, in the 1980s and by feminists to talk about the inequalities within the group of this unified, abstract concept of womanhood. You know, who is a woman? And who is what? What? And why some women are more have more chances to have access to their rights than other women? And this is when the interse intersectionality and also other aspects started coming to the feminist discourse, and disability was one of them. But. Many people believe that ableism is a neologism. It is not. It is old. But we have not incorporated it to our regular vocabulary as a sine qua non condition for any dialogue on, uh, on social justice in general. Mm -hmm. And learning about ableism implies an exercise to understand new levels in the dialogue of intersectionality. As I mentioned before, people with disabilities have multiple identities and we are also subject to racism, ageism, sexism, homophobia, xenophobia and other forms of discrimination. And uh, particularly I, as a woman with a disability, I have also been doing a lot of, uh, yeah, living with this quest, no, of trying to level the ground for every woman in many in many fields of life, no? uh, and uh, uh, but the truth is that many plans and programs that are in place, uh, particularly in shelters, uh, are creating some privileges of of some women over other women, and uh, a good number of women with disabilities live in complete isolation in rural areas, and sometimes they are also part of an indigenous community. So the, these women, the more segregated people people are the most the less chances they have to survive also understanding ableism helps non-disabled individuals to really have a different perspective of how privileges and oppressions around body functions are constructed to legitimize exclusion prejudice a poverty and isolation. I think that if environmental justice promoters understand ableism and if climate justice also embraces this, uh, uh, this responsibility of learning about ableism, this will be an, an exercise of unlearning ideals of normalcy and opening up to a more uh, uh, realistic understanding of the human experience. Because disability is not something to be feared. It's something that needs to be accepted, period. 
it's part of the body. Our bodies are fragile. And we all have to, to keep that in mind, only that. So when we look at the current legal frameworks on persons with disabilities, we find that particularly in the African context, most African states have not ratified, for example, the, the African Disability Rights Protocol. So mm. it seems like there seems to be a lot of um, disconnect, like you right, alluded to in your earlier responses, that there's lack of coherence. So do these legal frameworks that we're still pushing for to be ratified, do they cater to climate change? Do they have provisions that speak to issues of climate change? Yes, uh, uh Yes, of course, and uh, and at the same time, uh, I think that uh, uh, what uh, this this is why the role of Mr. Fry as a special rapporteur uh, uh, will be crucial to to connect the dots, uh-huh. and uh, and it is crucial also for donors to take into consideration disability as part of their their scope of activities. And this is something that, for example, the Global Green Grants Fund is doing in Africa and in many countries around the world, that is to support organizations of persons with disabilities, which are sometimes very, very, very small, to build capacity, gain voice, and also part of the dialogue. Because what is important is to understand that inclusion implies an effort of those who want to uh, to have those rights. I mean, you know that we as women, we always are fighting for our rights, period. We are not waiting for the government to grant us those rights. We defend them because we know that if we don't defend them, it, they won't happen. And the same needs to happen with persons with disabilities. The problem is that we are we are a very very complex uh, group because we are not culturally or gathered under the same necessarily the same cultural mindset or things like that. No, but what is important is to understand that we need to make friends with environmental justice promoters. And this can only happen also when there is financial support to do so. Uh, and uh, uh, at the same time, it is it is also important for organizations of persons with disabilities to learn, for example, about what is happening at the UN level in the UN Environment Program and to see what initiatives are currently being implemented in the continent. Because, well, I, you know it very well. Africa is more at risk of suffering cat- catastrophic consequences of climate change, despite being a minor contributor of greenhouse gases. And most of these programs are related to to waste management, for example, uh, as well as providing technical cooperation to certain countries to implement national strategies. So this is why it is very important also at the UN level to bring a, a disability to the front of the conversation. Because what has been happening thus far is that we are included in this basket of the other, the most marginalized. And that doesn't help. We need very concrete actions because we have same as we have at some point the same uh, needs of the population. It is also possible that we might need very specific uh, situation. And uh, I, I would like to, to mention what is happening currently now in southern Madagascar. Uh, you know that the famine has been hitting very hard uh, in southern Madagascar over the past th- uh, 
three or four years. No? And um, well, we have approached uh, as donors uh, the Global Green Grants Fund and other CBM Global, other donors have approached or, uh, uh, organizations of persons with disabilities at the national level because, of course, they are so poor at, in southern Madagascar that there are no organizations of persons with disabilities. They are just trying to survive. And we are trying to evaluate to what extent persons with disabilities are being included in, uh, in emergency relief efforts. And what we have found is that one of the main obstacles that needs to be uh, overcome by the governments is data collection, counting the number of people with disabilities that there is in every uh, in every country to plan in, in in accordance to these numbers. And here uh, uh, we are facing very specific obstacles because. In particularly in these areas, many children with disabilities um, who are born with a disability never ha- never get a birth certificate, so they simply don't exist. Uh, I mean, we are facing that kind of problems the, uh, of complete invisibilization of the system. And uh, so when when UNICEF comes and tries to help the children, the, 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 well, probably, uh, it is. They, they really have a, a, they really have to dig very very hard almost going home by home to identify who if there is a member with a disability in the, in, in the family and sometimes they still they will hide them children with disabilities are extremely extremely neglected and in disadvantage sometimes due to overprotection and not necessarily because their parents don't love them so this is where where we need to understand that all the agencies everyone involved in this effort to uh, to palliate to mitigate the effects of climate change we have to add together from lenses of first data collection second production of uh, laws and policies third dialogue with organizations of persons with disabilities or their representatives and at the same time meaningful inclusion and implementation of those policies and i hope that I mean, we are arriving very late to this conversation that started back in 1994, and uh, 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 when, when the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change was adopted. And uh, but but we are hoping that it is uh, not necessarily too late. It has already been too late for many people who have experienced very violent hurricanes, the wildfires in British Columbia uh, last year, for example, uh, and in California, where many people died because they just simply couldn't escape. And those are things that probably to learn from from other countries. I think that in countries where we expect too much from the government, we have less chances to survive. And at the same time, organizations of persons with disabilities are consulted, but only, but their opinions are not really taken into consideration uh, or are taken into consideration, uh, well, not as we wish <laughs> it was taken into consideration. So uh, I believe that, uh, that, we, uh, that we must act together to, um, to to improve our chances of survival. And well, of course, I, I don't see Africa as a whole. I mean, Africa is so diverse and so complex that uh, uh, 
but at the same time so vibrant. They are uh, 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 the organizations that I have had the, the, the privilege to work with in several countries are so extremely creative, and I am, I, and I trust in that creativity. I trust in uh, uh, in that uh, sense of solidarity leadership that they have shown in other uh, in other matters and i know that they will succeed i i i think that uh, in africa the uh, organizations of persons with disabilities have uh, a more solid understanding of disability rights than uh, uh, than in other countries that move in in the realm of the services which is the case of canada Mm -hmm. Here you uh, you ask for services, not for uh, rights, because the legal system is uh, is very uh, is very complex. In principle, the the, the right uh, rights are considered only in one uh, in one law at the federal level that is non discrimination, and in one law at the provincial level uh, uh, that is also related to the. Uh, uh, the prohibition of discrimination, but there are no concrete things happening or policies, or if they are happening, they are still under construction. So when disaster hits, we are left to to fend for ourselves, and uh, and we don't know what to do. Uh, uh, so I trust that Africa will set a precedent. I I trust. Uh, uh, from what I have seen from them, I trust in their uh, in their in, uh, in the force, in their ability to reach the government, and also in the receptivity of the governments to listen to them. And at the same time, I trust that they will also enlarge their networks and uh, become more. Uh, uh, create more solid uh, partnerships with climate action uh, and climate justice promoters, and uh, and also that they, uh, that they will establish a dialogue that we become like an essential part of this dialogue on climate change. And as I said before, not only an afterthought, but yeah, will these initiatives be effective? Well, to some extent. It depends on the advocacy skills of the organizations of persons with disabilities and the goodwill of many people and how fast we act. So, well, I am hoping that uh, uh, existing laws will be implemented and when there is when there are no laws, laws and policies will be uh, adopted because this is not for tomorrow. This is for, I mean, we are really late on this and we have to act as soon as possible. All right. Thank you very much for that comprehensive discussion. I suppose to all our listeners, this provokes you to think about um, how to make sure that we push for climate justice in a manner that also is inclusive of persons with disabilities. As we conclude, would you like to give your concluding remarks? I would like to make a call to persons with disabilities who are listening to this. Embrace 
the process of learning about climate uh, change to understand why is it why it is happening and to say what we can do you know that we are problem solvers we are solving problems every day and we are very good at doing that because we face all sorts of <laughs> misadventures all the time so I really encourage you to learn more about it and, and also to urge for the production of accessible material on climate change and also to produce knowledge on how we are experiencing climate change. It is very, very important to produce evidence to convince them that it is crucial for everyone, for every being in the planet to not forget that the The body is fragile and that ableism is real, that it is not a fancy war, that it is something that happens every day and that structural oppression should be eliminated in all its form. And ableism is one of them. And I really appreciate this opportunity to address your efforts and uh, it's always a privilege to talk to young people because I know that young people are ready for action. You have the energy to do this. And at the same time, I understand, for example, uh, something that has been discussed in some forums that is eco-anxiety, that young generations are experiencing uh, some sort of new form of disability, that is this anxiety for the future, this sense of hopelessness because climate change is so dangerous and so unpredictable, something that can be of little life in a matter of days. So I trust that, that talking more about disability, talking more about mental health in relation to climate action will also become an issue for everyone. We don't have to be scared to talk about how climate change is also affecting our mental health because it's not only people who are already disabled, it's also how this is affecting our well-being and how this is also hindering our chances, everyone's chances to cope with that. We have to remain hopeful, but at some point we will not be able to do it and it's okay. That it needs to happen. But the dialogue on this state of mind needs to happen as well. And well, thank you very much for inviting me. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. So Thank you very much to our listeners for joining us for today's conversation on Africa Rights Talk. Um, do join in on the and look out for our activities on the hashtag Green Justice Africa campaign, which is a campaign related to promoting human rights in the context of climate change. And I'd like to leave our listeners with this, that there's no climate justice without disability justice. As we all know, climate change is the central political and moral issue around the The globe. It affects everyone, but not equally. And for persons with disabilities, the threat is compounded by discrimination, marginalization, and other pre-existing inequalities. So it really is up to you and I to make sure that we do um, embark on this climate justice campaign while including persons with disabilities. This has been Africa Rights Talk with me, Tatenda Musina Hamai. Join us in our other episodes as we continue to explore other human rights issues.